I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Welcome to this special edition of All Things Catholic. I am live here in St. Peter's Square in Rome with our Rome pilgrimage here. And we are in a very historic moment. We just arrived in Rome, but we're so excited to be here on this historic day. It's the first time there's a new feast dedicated to Our Lady called Mary Mother of the Church that Pope Francis instituted. And that feast day comes the Monday after Pentecost, and we're here at St. Peter's on the first day this feast has ever been celebrated. And I want to talk a little bit about this great feast day. I want to talk about it biblically. I want to talk about why would Catholics talk about Mary as mother of the church, why they view her as mother of all Christians. What does this all mean? Where do we find this in scripture? But first of all, I think it's quite fitting as we're here in St. Peter's Square with thousands and thousands of other pilgrims uh, to consider the symbolism of the square as it relates to this theme of Mother of the Church, Mary, Mother of the Church. So whenever I bring pilgrims to Rome, I always like to highlight how this every little detail in St. Peter's is here for a reason. The columns, the statues, the, the paintings you'll find, or the, the mosaics you'll find inside, everything is here to tell a story. I, I describe St. Peter's Basilica and St. Peter's Square as theology in stone. Uh, and so, for example, one of the famous things you may notice about St. Peter's is as you face the church, there's these, these two colonnades, this, this reaching out. It's like the Mother Church, the arms of Mother Church reaching out to all humanity. And all humanity is coming in to the arms of St. Peter's Square as the church is welcoming people from Asia, from South America, from Africa, all over Europe, North America, from all over the world. And if you notice above the, the, these columns, there's 284 columns here, but up above you'll see all these statues. There are 140 statues, if you dare to look up above the columns and you see them. Those represent various saints and martyrs, and the idea is that that is the heavenly church. That's the church triumphant, the saints in heaven. Then, down in the square, we have the thousands and thousands of pilgrims that are pouring in here at this moment and throughout the day and every day, and this represents the church that's on pilgrimage on the way to heaven, the pilgrim church. Uh, and then, down below, underneath St. Peter's Square, is a cemetery, and the key tomb that's here underneath St. Peter's Basilica is Peter's tomb. And so you can think of this as down below as the church suffering. So you have the three aspects of the church, the, the, the church in heaven. We're united with the saints up in heaven. We're the pilgrims here in the square. And then down below are the tombs of, of, of St. Peter and other early Christians and others from Rome in the first century period. So we are here in St. Peter's Square, and all of this brings to mind this idea of Mother Church. Mother Church is reaching out through these arms, welcoming humanity into a deeper relationship with Christ. And I think that's quite symbolic of this feast day that we're celebrating today. We're thinking about Mary's motherhood. Why do we think about Mary as mother of the church? Where do we get this idea? And I want to carry, I want to carry you back to a great scene that took place on Good Friday. You all remember what Jesus said to Mary on Good Friday. Remember on that day, most of his disciples abandoned him. 
Most of them all ran away in fear. But there was one disciple that stood with Jesus at the cross. And who was that? John, the beloved disciple. And he's there with Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. So some of the women disciples. But John is the only one of the 12 apostles that's there on Good Friday. And you remember those words that Jesus spoke to St. John. He says to him, Behold your mother, as Mary's standing right there at the foot of the cross beside him. And this is a very important passage. It comes in John's Gospel, chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. It's a very important passage for understanding Mary as mother of the church. Why? Because in John's Gospel, this figure of St. John, his name is never given. All the other apostles have their name listed in John's Gospel, but John himself doesn't mention his own name. He just calls himself the disciple that was loved by Jesus, the beloved disciple. And what's fascinating is that in John's Gospel, individual characters often represent symbolically larger groups of people. So for example, we have the Samaritan woman. Remember the woman at the well? She's someone that has had five husbands, she has a colored past, but she represents all of the Samaritan people and the five pagan gods that they had been worshiping as told in 2 Kings chapter 17. So she's an individual woman that has her own story, but her story is bound up with the story of her whole people. She's representative of all the Samaritans. And on that day at the well in John Go John's Gospel chapter 4, she encounters Jesus, believes he's the Messiah, and she tells all the other women and men in the village about Jesus and they come to believe Jesus is the savior of the world. And so her conversion is an embodiment of the conversion of many Samaritans. That's just one example of what we find many times in John's gospel. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is a Pharisee who comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid and he doubts Jesus. He's in the dark. He doesn't understand Jesus. And he's questioning, misunderstanding. And he represents the larger group of Pharisees that also are in the dark, that misunderstand Jesus and are opposed to him. So we see in John's gospel, individual characters often represent larger groups. That is especially the case with this beloved disciple figure. The beloved disciple in John's gospel is St. John. But what do we learn about this beloved disciple? We learn in John 13 that he's the disciple that is closest to Jesus at the Last Supper. He's, he has his head resting on, on, on Jesus' side, close to Jesus. This is the disciple that is the one that is there at the cross still. Uh, all the others ran away, but Jesus has one faithful disciple who's, who remains faithful in the midst of all this suffering and persecution. That's the beloved disciple. Who was the first to get to the tomb on Easter Sunday? John, the beloved disciple. Who's the first to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead? The beloved disciple. So he's the first to believe in the resurrected Jesus. He's the first to tell others about the resurrected Jesus, to bear witness to him. John, the beloved disciple, is a model of all faithful disciples. So let's go back to John 19 at the cross. There we are on Good Friday. Jesus turns to the beloved disciple and his mother, and he has this exchange, and he says to the beloved disciple, Behold your mother. He says to his mother, Behold your son. What's Jesus doing there? He's putting the beloved disciple in a special relationship as a son to a mother with his own mother, Mary. And that's clearly, on a very basic level, 
Jesus is taking care of his mom. He's about to die and he wants to make sure that there's someone to take care of his mother. And John, the beloved disciple, will look after Mary after Jesus dies. But there's a deeper spiritual, theological significance to this, and that is this. John, the beloved disciple, is the individual, John. But in John's gospel, who does he represent? All faithful disciples. He represents all faithful Christians. He represents all of us. And so when the beloved disciple is put into a special relationship with Mary as his mother, that means all of us, all of us faithful disciples today are represented by John. John has Mary as his mother, and so do we. It's as if Jesus, throughout the 2,000 years since he died, he is looking at us. He's looking at us in the eye today from Calvary, and he's saying to us, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. Will we welcome Mary as our spiritual mother? Will we welcome her as the beloved disciple did and take her into our own soul? as our spiritual mother. She's in heaven. She's praying for us. She's interceding for us today on this pilgrimage. We've already asked her intercession for us. She prays for us all throughout our lives, now and all the way up to the hour of our death. And so it's just a wonderful thing that Pope Francis has taken this great traditional title for Mary as our spiritual mother, as mother of the church, and she's, he's elevated it by making it a great feast day right here the Monday after Pentecost. Just as Mary was with the disciples praying for that outpouring of the Spirit in the days leading up to Pentecost, now on the Monday after Pentecost, we remember Mary is mother of the church. Let us rejoice and give thanks that God has given us this great gift. Jesus, right before he died, gave us this great gift of his spiritual mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.